Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. All right. You ready, pal? Absolutely. All right, wonderful. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. My name is Samuel Smith. I'm the Small Business Surgeon. And guys, today's guest is a superstar from across the pond. He is a guy that buys and sells companies. That's a business broker. And he has started to turn his attention towards building a group for children's education called The Spectacular Group. I'm very excited to interview him today. Please welcome to the show, Adrian Knight. Samuel, hello. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Man, I love your accent, man. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get to interview a lot of English people, so no, that's that's really great, man. Um, look, before we kick off, Adrian, I'm I'm really interested in honestly everything you do with the the children's education and the business brokerage. But before we kick off, um, just tell the folks at home a little bit about what you actually do. Sure. So my background is buying and selling small businesses. Um, I realized quite early on in into my entrepreneurial journey that I was a terrible startup entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> I think I started up about 12 uh, businesses and every single one failed. All right, we, we, we're we're going to dig into that later, but keep going. <laughs> um, but then I stumbled into uh, acquiring companies, so mm-hmm. buying them, and typically they have some problems. So you're going in as a problem solver and essentially turning those around, and that seemed to suit me a lot better. <laughs> um, you can see that behind me, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's, it's amazing. Exactly. It's amazing. What I'm, I'm willing to bet we've we've had a similar journey. But please, sorry, keep going. I'm just chuckling. We do, yeah. like, I, we. Yeah. So I, I found you on uh, on Podmatch. It's a it's a guest matching service for podcasters. So uh, I never know who I'm going to get when they show up. So this is uh, this is great, man. Please carry on. Yeah, no, it's 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 been a fascinating journey and um, something that made me realize there are different types of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. you have people who are great at startups and then people who uh, tend to warm to different you know sort of parts of the of the journey and mine just happened to be the going into a company that was distressed and doing some turnaround and then either um looking to sell that on if you, mm-hmm. if you don't want to manage the business or in my case um using that skill set to build a small group of companies that's focused on children's education which is driven by uh, like a, a genuine mission to to shape children's lives through education. Good, good, Matt. Yeah, you can never get enough education. It's uh, it's definitely a light, lifelong pursuit for me. And uh, I think you get to an age where you're like, man, we got to we got to really take care of the people that are coming behind us. And so the more we can put into kids, the better. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey um, because you know I I do similar, very similar to what you do. Uh, now and it wasn't always that way I've been through a lot of businesses and I think the audience listening sometimes you know they're in that startup phase they're in that fail and try again phase they're, they're, they're several years you know away from from where they want to go and you said when you started out you, you you got it wrong about 12 times I'd like to talk to you about you know what you were like in school and what it was like starting your first business mm. so my my first business was Technically, my um, my paper rounds and the, the the variety of paper rounds I had. So 
um, in the UK, you have to be 13 years old to get yep. a paper round. And so I signed up when I was 12. I did too. And, <laughs> and Love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, so many <laughs> entrepreneur, good entrepreneur. Like, just, yeah, they, it's it, such it's a shame. Do you think they still have, do they, do they even still have paper rounds anymore? Because like out here, when I, when I got out to America, I noticed it was like, like adults did it with their cars. You know, they would drive around and, and drop papers off. But um, in England, it seemed to be like a cultural thing. There was always a 13, 14, 15 year old paper boy in every single village in every town. Did they still it, do it's that? It's so true. You know what? You don't see many of them because you have the bright fluorescent bags. As yeah, mine well. was orange. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I was very fortunate in that the day after my 13th birthday, I got a call saying, we have a paper round, would you like it? And I, I naturally jumped at the, the opportunity, but I very quickly realized because I was saving for, um, I was a real petrol head when I was a kid and I still am. And I was saving for a car, even though I couldn't drive until I was 17. And I thought, Great, I've got four years to, what car we to save up. What car were you saving for? Oh, I was one of, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen like Fast and the Furious. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Those sort of, yeah. yeah, so I was, um, yeah, right into my boy racer cars, but it was a, it was a Renault Clio. So oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Typical, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was my pride and joy, actually. So I, I started my paper round when I was 13, and by the time I was 15, I had five paper rounds, but I had franchised them out essentially to mm -hmm. my friends. Right. Um, and I was working in the local paper shop, signing up new accounts and um, just developing developing that. And um, I eventually won Paper Boy of the Year for Hampshire. Oh, um, wow. Like one of our, our counties and was, yeah, was sort of in the, ironically featured in the paper um and won a bike which unfortunately got <sighs> stolen when i went to college so you, you yeah. were, dude i got like third place in that like yorkshire even impressed they had that same competition i got like third place. i remember going knocking on doors trying to make new accounts and i sold all these new accounts and i got uh, i got a walkman that played tapes and the, the first place kid did get a bike i remember that dude I mean, it was obviously different competition, but the first place kid got a bike and I ended up with a Walkman and I already had a bike, so I was made up. <laughs> so you used to listen, listen to my Walkman when going around delivering the papers. And yeah. All the tapes and mm -hmm. then it evolved. I think it was mini discs at one point. It was. Uh, yeah, I, had, I remember having a switching from tape to CD and I would have to hold my CD player while I was walking yeah. around on the paper out. It was almost a bag for the CDs and a bag for yes, the papers. Yes, yes. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Like I made a little pouch out of cloth to put my CD player in so it wouldn't skip. Like, <laughs> yeah, the things, man. Uh, so anyway, paper, paper routes we have in common. Dude, I think that's, that's something that, you know, I think we've lost culturally over the last 20 years, and, and especially the difference in America. You know, you don't see a lot of teenage kids hustling, whereas in England, you know, you'll see kids delivering papers at 13, 14, and you'll see kids, you know, washing up in restaurants at 14 and 15, working in the kitchens and stuff. And, you know, we see that a lot out here. I don't know if that's like a cultural thing or if it's that's just like society as a whole has moved on and stopped giving kids jobs. But I think that it really installs that entrepreneurial spirit in folks. I mean, look at how you grew up and look at what you do now, you know? You think that's missing? I, I do, actually. And I, I sort of look around and I don't see many people like in their early or mid-teens or late teens taking a similar approach it, there seems to be a very different um a, a attitude but then it's hard to understand where that's being driven from because also um you know sort of millennials it seems to be more about experience rather than like they, they seem to have different mm -hmm. 
priorities and and yeah i, I mean it's a shame you don't see it it was just pure graft grit did, and i learned so much through those years about i just learned so much yeah yeah even about adding up i mean like i had to go around and collect all the money like they people were leaving little jam jars on the door and like you know oh mr tony well he'd be like six weeks behind so you'd have to knock on his door and you don't like knocking because you're gonna get shouted at you know um but you do you learn so much about business as a kid just delivering newspapers and stuff so it, it was probably natural to you to just um jump straight into business did you did you go to university or were you straight uh, straight out into the world no, so I, I did go to university. I only lasted three weeks um, because I, um, I, I, I was studying construction management at mm-hmm. university, and I looked around and I was looking at sort of where people were, sort of 20, 30, 40 years ahead of mm-hmm. me, and I just couldn't see that as my path. But I, um, I started a, a business at university, which was this was just before Facebook. Um, so we used to go out to all of the student nights, uh, dressed up in like different costumes, like Scooby-Doo or whatever, mm-hmm. take loads of photos and hand out business cards, which the students would then go to our website. Mm-hmm. And we had sold uh, advertising to local companies that wanted to target those students. And that ended up evolving to the point where uh, we had the advertising, um, we were running four nights student nights a week which was just phenomenal fun. yeah yeah a, 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 a bad that age too column. yeah it, it was insane so I actually ended up staying for the full three years but I wasn't a student I was living <laughs> the student life and having this amazing time and found myself at sort of the, the center because you know we were the guys that right. had free tickets and if people wanted to go to VIP because we were running the nights and we were often given like the um you know, so crates of cheap alcohol yep. to give away to the students by the club owners. Those little so beers was, that were like that big, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a phenomenal time. It was a phenomenal time. Um, great, great fun, so. So how long were you an alcoholic? Yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's my, the culture, yeah. man. That's exactly what happens. And yeah, I was laughing at you because I, I stayed in school about six weeks before I went back to just building businesses and making money doing other stuff. Um so that's why I was laughing, but it, and, and, you know, I, I say, I, I give you the alcohol question, you know, just, uh, poking a little fun at the culture there. Cause I think both of us have, uh, have been through that. So, um, before we get too far into the entrepreneur, why don't you touch on that, that drinking story and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So drinking was, um, I started drinking when, you know, a lot of people start drinking sort of their late teens, mm-hmm. uh, early twenties. It's practically and- mandatory. You know, particularly in England, it's, right. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's such a it's such an integral part of our culture, and it's not just one or two drinks. It's how many can you have, and who's the last person standing. That's the measure of masculinity. I keep trying to explain that. They just they're like that sounds really stupid. I'm like, it, well, it is now thinking about it. But you're yeah. right. It's who has the most drinks, and who's the man at the end of the night. That's, that's the way the whole thing is geared. It it, it really is, and so. That combined with the fact that we were running these student nights and um, we sort of held the keys to the doors. So like there was always that false level of um, being popular because people obviously wanted what we had. And so over the three years that developed a a relationship myself, like a relationship with alcohol where I associated a great degree of like fun um, and almost control in a way. And um, 
as I came out of that environment into sort of the working right. world, that that habit was still there, and that um, you know that sort of pattern was still there. And then as I sort of progressed through my twenties, I started to become aware that my relationship with alcohol wasn't as healthy as I thought it was. Like I couldn't right. just have a couple of drinks. It was let's keep going and let's keep going and the fun's going to happen like and mm-hmm. the fun's going to happen and then yeah it just kind of spiraled downhill really so what happened that made you turn that around was there was there a moment when you said hey man i, I need to get a handle on this how how did mm. you how did you manage to 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 put that up because you know i and i'm asking this adrian because there's a lot of entrepreneurs and and it seems to run rampant through our particular uh, industry that that rely on alcohol and maybe struggle with putting it down and i think that when they find out that i've been sober for as long as i have the first thing they ask me is how how did you do it and you know if you're comfortable what was that trigger and and how did you do it yeah yeah very comfortable to share is um so there was a lead-up period to mm-hmm. this where I'd started to question what value I was getting from alcohol and that lead up period in hindsight played a major role in actually being able to make the decision and to follow it through mm-hmm. um but the 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 key moment I remember very vividly so I my relationship had deteriorated with alcohol quite considerably to the point where you know I was driving under the influence Probably on a weekly basis, like really driving. And I recognized that if I didn't do something, I was either going to kill myself or worse, someone else. And that was unacceptable, but I was like ridden with fear. And then I had, um, I was quite early into my entrepreneurial journey and I had actually been on the business trip with some key partners to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And we were coming back on the plane and we ordered a couple of, of the like the miniature like whiskeys and yeah, drinks. Yeah, yeah. And they naturally stopped at um sort of one, I think one person had two, but I purposely moved myself to elsewhere on the plane so I could keep on going. And then when we landed, it was the you know trying to act um normal, but I yeah. could see in their eyes that they could see I was under the influence. And then I got a taxi back to my car. And the taxi, which was, uh, you know, it was about 10, 15 minutes away. And the taxi driver was saying, I don't think you should drive. I don't think you should drive. And like, he clearly smelling right, right. on me. Um, but I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then I managed to drive home, which was a good sort of 90 minutes away. And oh, as wow. soon as I got home, the I got out the cheap alcohol I'd bought in Ukraine and basically finished that off. And I mm. woke up the next morning and I just said to myself, I'm, I'm just utterly ashamed and embarrassed of that of how i'd let myself down in actually what was quite a key like business trip and at that point i recognized that okay i'm going to stop this it's not going to be forever Mm -hmm. but i'm going to give myself 30 days i can go 30 days i think it's going to be hard but i will do that and i noticed very quickly that i started to feel a lot better i started to get comments and those and that's something started to change my perception and the relationship and then mm-hmm. it was a gradual sort of slope from there downwards like in a positive way so just like one day at a time huh yeah it was having a short-term goal so 30 days is really nice right because it's, it's far but it's not too far 
and it was taking it one day at a time and it was celebrating each day yeah because like, oh i feel quite good i'm, like, I'm not waking up with a you know a hangover <laughs> and maybe i can go and do this and all of a sudden i've got more time what are we gonna yeah, do yeah yeah yeah, dude, it's it's freeing. I mean, I understand why people drink. Uh, I really do, especially with the the British and the culture out there, um, you know. But it's uh, it's been uh, it's been quite a bit over six years now since since I went out and got drunk, mm. and um, I don't miss it. So it's if it's very beneficial, and I like the way you you quit just for thirty days, just for a bit. I think a lot of us go wrong and say, "I'm never drinking again." Uh, that's a very hard thing to live up to. But if, well, if I can just hold on till the first of the month and then maybe I'll have a drink then and then the first of the month rolls around and maybe you don't want one. And so it seems to work well. So, uh, so true. Yeah. Dude, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I know it can be a little bit vulnerable talking about, um, talking about the mistakes that you made in life, especially the, uh, the alcohol induced mistakes. I'm only grateful that flip phones, uh, iPhones and social media weren't around when I was out drinking because I think we'd be in a lot more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh so you know you're laughing uh laughing quite ruefully there mate so anyway um let's let's go back to business so we we've now we've now uh let's pretend we've left college and uh what's it like in the real world outside of the the college parties and the entertaining what was your what, what was your next move after that oh it was it was tough the reality of life um but it was funny because we all like the the people in my age group, a lot of people moved to London. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I lived just outside of London and went to university uh, just outside of London. And it was almost like the next bubble going to London. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there was like a, it was a smaller group, but there was a group of us who were continuing that sort of student ethos, I guess, but in a different environment was all generating an income with living in this great big city with so many things yeah. going on. So that sort of perpetuated the, the situation and the lifestyle but i started to notice this conflict because i wanted to succeed in business right and you can't do that if you're out partying all the time is nope. you've got to make a choice that's the secret man they they, they don't tell you that in school like <laughs> <laughs> successful businessmen are not in the bars at 10 o'clock at night hanging out no. you know like maybe once a month you might see them at a hotel bar late if they've been out traveling but no uh, that's the secret. They don't tell you that in school. <laughs> no, no, they really don't. <laughs> so yeah, what what was that first? Uh, what was that first company like that you, you you did when you got to London, man? Tell me a little bit about that journey, and then the journeys of failure to where you're at now, because you got a lot of experience in learning what doesn't work until you finally learned what did. And I, I most people quit before then, man. Most people quit. So uh, tell yeah. me tell me a little bit about that journey. So my first, my first business was um, a, a, essentially a marketing company, mm-hmm. and because I like we marketed the student stuff, yeah, and yeah, transferable skills there. It's, it's a natural progression with that website, yeah. Exactly, and and so that seemed like a logical place to start. And I was fortunate to get a couple of good clients under my belt, um, and sort of went from there. But I I struggled because I started to come against the reality of well. I wasn't a specialist in anything. Right. I didn't have any particular product or system or process or anything. I mm. was just, hey, yeah, I, marketing, I can do it. Or it, it, there was no clarity right. to it. And uh, and I and I started to, yeah, I started to flat quite quickly. Um, and then what I I sort of stumbled on a, a bit of a niche, and this in a way was my first real taste of 
um, like buying and selling businesses because mm-hmm. I I built a few websites and one of them was getting a lot of traffic a day, uh, which I've done a few like sort of the search engine optimization, but I couldn't find the product to sell on there. So I basically put up an advert on the website, it took mm-hmm. me about 10 minutes to, to draw one, uh, selling a product that I thought would be perfect for the market, put a like a buy now button mm-hmm. and then uh, connected it to PayPal. And then over the next two weeks, I had a couple dollars, it was a couple of thousand dollars worth of orders. And I thought, great, this is like validation. This is market mm-hmm. research. Like the best market research is asking people to buy and they bought. Right. So then I went back to all of those customers saying, I'm really sorry, um, the, we haven't got the product in stock. We'll send you your refund back. Or if you're prepared to wait, mm-hmm. you know, we will get this to you. And about a third of them had their money back, but the two thirds said, no, we're happy to wait. Then that was my capital for going out and creating the product. Get the product. Thought, yeah. And, and that was um, like an e-commerce business. And I ran that for, I sort of built it up and ran it for about a year. And then, um, and then I just sold it. I had an opportunity to sell it. And all of a sudden, I had this this sort of lump sum of of cash. I'm like, that's really fun. Like, that was really cool. And I I liked the fact that it wasn't the ongoing management because that's right, where the right, was. right. Um, real quick though, I want to just I know I know you went really fast over it, but I want to go back to the technique you use because I think far too many people overlook this. Um, is that you developed product market fit from a website and a picture without an actual product. And once you had that product, you were able to sell it with zero cost other than putting up the website and sticking the picture of products up. Is that correct? Correct. Correct, yeah. I just wanted you to say that in front of the audience (laughs) because, no, dude, so many people, right, um, they come to me with these fucking great ideas for stuff. And I'm like, but have you sold it? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, go put up a landing page, spend 200 bucks and go sell it. Go see if anybody wants it. Go market it. See, before you spend a bunch of money on product and bottles and labels and packaging and, and fulfillment and everything else, like pay attention to what Adrian said, everybody. Like he literally created a product out of thin air, sold the product. And when the orders came in, then his problem was, I need to go sell the product. So he's treating revenue generation as his first problem, right? Sorry. Yeah. Had to get that out, man. Far too many people waste a fucking fortune trying to trying to make something without testing it first. And, and you're doing it the exact way they teach us to just test it and see. Test it and see. Right. It's, it, it's so true. And one of the, that, that was the greatest lesson I learned from that because, I mean, I sold it because I realized I had to because I'd completely mismanaged the cash flow of the business. And, and I was like, I need to sell this while I can. Right. Essentially. And unfortunately, had a, um, an offer come through. I was like, yeah, I'll take it. This, this is done. Um, but that was the great lesson I learned from that. It wasn't so much about, yeah, like the cash. It was the, it was the, wow, that's how you can try something because so many, like time little side hustles mm-hmm. and invested all this time or, or the bit of money I had and yep. it had gone nowhere when you sharpen in the market, not in your mind. Yep. No, you're right. You gotta, you gotta build it and then test it and then adjust mm. accordingly. And, uh, again, man, I think far too many people get caught up in the semantics of it all. And, and you're just out there, throw up a website and see if it sells. And, uh, it's, uh, I like to do it with consumables with stuff. People like to reorder. Or with uh, yeah. or with memberships, I'm looking into memberships now, but managing those is uh, is a whole other headache. So, um, 
All right, let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit, Adrian, because uh, I I love I love how you came up with that. Um, but I want to know now a little bit because um, you sold that company, and I'm assuming that was your first experience in selling a company. So what was the transition like? Once you realized, hey man, I can I can sell this for a boatload of cash and go do something else. What was that transition like, uh, and how did you begin to start buying and selling companies? Well, that was, I mean, that was a, a, I mean, it was a baby sort of exit. It was, it was baby, but at the time it felt like all the money in the world because right. of how it had been built on nothing in a very short period of time. And so it, it felt like a lot more than it was, but that planted a seed. And I always, I always felt instinctively that buying buying businesses was a far more logical way of going about being an entrepreneur but I also mm -hmm. felt that starting a business was a rite of passage because you just <laughs> learn things through a startup mm -hmm. and so if you're going to buy a business and you've had no business experience then you're almost like in many ways like setting yourself up for failure and, yeah you know, yeah but it, that happens so many times like look at how many people buy restaurants because they think it would be fun to own a restaurant I mean like you know you, so many people just um they they don't do it and and the fact that you're advocating you know get the experience in there first before you buy something man i mean just the mind boggles some days yeah that was it but it, i was reaching i was reaching a stage where um i was in my so how old was i was 30 33 34 mm -hmm. and i just found out that i was going to be a dad and i was absolutely dread not i, I was I, <laughs> crapping myself like I was, yeah. I was so nervous because I'd been building this business this startup for um for several years and it was just a flop I wasn't making any money mm -hmm. and I was working all hours under the sun I'm like how am I going to support this little girl this beautiful little girl um that was to come and I always knew I wanted to do the buying and selling and I just sort of took a step back and said if you're not going to do it now when are you going to do it yeah so yeah. I, I just went into it and I went into it with a mindset of um, I like cleared my decks. So I made the bandwidth for myself and then I was like, I'm just going to go for this. And I ran at it at 100 miles an hour under the full knowledge that this was a, a learning experience. So the first calls I had with like business owners, I, I targeted people where I had no intention of buying their business. I right. just wanted to get the confidence of having these conversations mm -hmm. and then looking at financials. Um, and then I ended up acquiring my first business about, it, it took me about three months of just full effort. And it was a 30 year old company mm -hmm. um, that it was a franchise network and it had a small, um, a small network of franchisees. And then came sort of the second lesson of, well, what do you do with it? Now you've got it. Um, and so spent about about two months sort of adding the value. And then the intention was to to run it and grow it and be a really successful you know, franchisor. Mm -hmm. um, but then last year, hadn't known it for two years. I was like, this sucks. Like, this absolutely <laughs> sucks. Um, so I sold it and had a very nice exit off the back of it. Right. And that's when the whole thing came full circle. Yeah, so if you don't mind me asking, how did you structure the deal on your on that buy? Um, because you know you, you've been working for three years, nothing's working, you're not making a ton of money, and you got a, you got a daughter support. And there's a lot of guys with 
similar skill sets that are kind of in the same position. How did you go about getting the funds to acquire that? Was it a, a seller finance? Was there some creativity on your end? Definitely creativity. Mm-hmm. And every deal I've done, I've done, I've done, I mean, I've done eight, nine deals over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, every single one was highly creative. And that's kind of, and that's kind of the, the trick to it because um, with this deal as an example, I paid a pound for the business. Um, but there was assets in the company. Mm-hmm. And so the asset is a pound for the for the business plus the assets, but the um, the cost of the assets essentially got them to invoice me, but then put a 60 day term on it. And mm-hmm. I could see through the business that they had the money coming in. So right. uh, over the next 30 days, so essentially it could self finance mm-hmm. the acquisition, which is exactly what exactly what happens. And every deal I've done since has been of a similar nature because I didn't have any money. Like I, I, right. I didn't have the means to acquire it, but even if I wanted to, um, I didn't have the credit to support it as well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's, but, but that's part of the risk management. It's not just about going in with as little cash as you can. Like there's, there's reasons you want to do that because what a lot of people miss when they look at this is that when you buy a business, you are buying a bunch of problems mm-hmm. and you don't yeah. even know what those problems are yeah and you need to protect yourself if you put in your house on the line or your mm-hmm. life savings it's not the way to do it no 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 no, absolutely not yeah better to uh, better to be creative and use somebody else's money dude um and you know are you seeing a trend or any kind of pattern with folks that are retiring because every time i seem to read the news it's like you know ten thousand boomers are retiring today you know are you seeing like a glut of businesses come on the market absolutely there i mean every business i've acquired has been a retirement sale and the the mindset of these vendors of the, of the sellers is that for many of them, they've spent 20, 30 years building their business mm-hmm. under the assumption that their children or someone's going to want to come to buy their business. Um, in many cases, their you know big part of their retirement, their pension is tied yeah. up in the company. Yeah. And then when it comes to like selling it and actually executing that, they realize that there's not a queue of buyers at the door. And right. quite often, their children don't want to buy mum and dad's like plumbing business or uh, manufacturing <laughs> company they right. want to do something cool like marketing yeah yeah, yeah. In the world. yeah 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 and so it, it, that there's this realization and it's very sad really it's this realization that their life's work is is and their future is tied up in this company and there's a lot of frustration from the sellers and in many cases they've already mentally checked out so you right, have to be very careful because right. you start to see the business decline mm-hmm because they're 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 done and it's going in with a mindset from a buyer's perspective of you like it's win-win it doesn't mm-hmm. work any other way it has yeah. to win for both sides and you have to go in with genuine intent and ethics and morals and this is you know, i'm coming in this genuinely with the right place and that's right, where right. it's where it works successfully, like successfully. Because you're almost like partners with them, aren't you? Because if you don't succeed, then they don't get paid out. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do they stay on after you buy it normally, or do they just like wander off into the sunset? I'm I'm just curious, man. <laughs> well, the last deal I done, the 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 husband and wife literally went on holiday the next day um, after signing, which was a nightmare because they they had all this information in their heads. And I was like, I need to speak to you. Like, it's because all the fires yeah. already started. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a rule of thumb, 
I like to get the owners out of the business straight away, but I like to simultaneously sign them up on a uh, like a consulting yeah. agreement so that um, they're in the background. I can call them like with the last acquisition. We, I mean, we we've meet like met so many times for coffees. We've gone out for dinners, and we're just discussing like staff members or the industry or past experiences, and mm-hmm. that is just invaluable. But if they're still in the day to day they still think it's their business. Right, right, for sure, for sure. And you're coming in and it's, yeah, it's not always good. No, I can can imagine. So, uh, man, I I wanted to ask another completely relevant question and right as you said that, it just slipped my mind. I I was just very intrigued as to to how the whole process works, man. So uh, thank you for for jumping into it with us. what would you say are some of the things that when you acquire companies, you come in and fix immediately? Like uh, on my side, I see a lot of people still doing business on pen and on paper, and you know, on, on maybe a, a spreadsheet on a desktop. Um, what are some of the, the, the things that you come in and can immediately implement changes and make improvements on? Yeah, I mean, the first area practically always is the finances the like to your point Samuel the I mean the last business I I acquired it was it was all paper-based and um it was the so the founder's wife was running the finances and um she wasn't of didn't have any financial qualifications um uh, I believe she spent 20 years working as a dinner lady out of school oh wow and um yeah so the financial like component needed a lot of work and that's yeah the first area and it's quite quite easy in a sense if you've done it a couple of times because it's just getting stuff on the you know like zero quickbooks or you know mm-hmm. there's the proper bookkeeping in place and getting a bit of structure there the second area is unquestionably the team mm-hmm. people and um getting straight in with them and it's normally having a conversation with them saying that Obviously, it's a big change going on. I appreciate that's unsettling. Yeah. It's sharing the vision of where you want to go, but also being really transparent with them saying, look, this is where we're going. If this isn't for you, that's absolutely fine. We fully understand that. But if this is for you, like, this is where we're going. And like, like. Right. You've got to paint that vision for them. Absolutely. Dude, what's what's yeah. that like on the handover? And do you, do you see like a lot of turnover in, in staff? And again, I'm I'm just curious because I've I've never like been through it with a big company, but like you, you got twenty or thirty staff and, and and upwards from there. Do you see like a big turnover, or do you see most people go? You know what? We're gonna we stick it out and give the new guys a go. It's kind of half and half, really. So um, every acquisition, there has been some some element of turnover of staff and mm. that is to be expected with a lot of my peers who are also very active in the same like they, we all sort of see the same but if you're buying a business with that has 10 employees and two mm. of them leave that's 20 percent of your workforce right like it's so there's a risk component to that as well that needs that needs managing and it's normally the people who have had it easy because in most cases they are the yeah. brother-in-law. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's always those people, but you have to be careful as well because there are you have the people who leave immediately, but then there's also the two or three who will undermine because they've got like they've had it very easy. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just sort of referencing my last acquisition again, but you know there was one of the employees that was stealing a lot from the business. 
but the the uh, like a close family friend of the owner stealing under his noses and like yeah you just have to be very careful but then there's also the people who they want the, the burst of energy like they're tired of the stagnation in the company they want to see it succeed mm -hmm. and they really want to be a part of that and with those people it's about taking them on the journey investing in them giving them the structure and um yeah making them a part of it like truly a part of it man it sounds like you've got the, uh, the ideal career going on there mate it really does what are... yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun it's a lot of fun there's no question about it but it's also yeah it's a fast ride but that, that was my next question you know what are some of the parts that that you find really enjoyable about the challenge of buying businesses and turning them around because uh, i find like i find it's like playing uh, playing with a rubik's cube all day you know i, I kind of like I, I look at it like that there's, there's only so many ways you can twist it eventually it'll go in right but yeah what, what are some of the things that you really enjoy about the job what I love, because it, yeah, it's 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 the same. It's the problem solving aspect, and there this goes back to sort of recognizing what type of entrepreneur you are. Because I recognize that I'm the I'm the guy that will lead the deal, make the deal happen, set the deal up in the right way, and then typically I'm the first one in, and it's like the gusto of energy, and it's got the vision, and it's bringing everybody on board, and quite often from that it's kicking everything up in the air because mm -hmm. there's a lot of old systems that just haven't been looked at and, and problems that have several plasters over them but no one wants to yeah. pull them off so yeah. it's kicking everything up in the air getting all the pieces in the air and then gradually starting to bring down the right pieces in the right places and making those changes and essentially like taking it from the one sort of tr like train tracks and putting it on the new tracks and then at that point once the core like pieces are, are there sort of in the right places that's the point at which i need to take a step out and start to send in uh people who are far better managers than i yeah. am yeah like yeah, far yeah. better managers and that process can take anywhere from sort of three months up to mm -hmm. up to about 12 months depending on the how distressed the business is yeah i like to equate it to an orchestra Be like look you're you're yeah. the you're the conductor and you can play the violin but as soon as you figured out how it goes you're going to go hire the best violin player you can find and then go work on the trumpet section you know exactly that it's exactly that <laughs> yeah it's just like it's like <laughs> making a fruit salad <laughs> just... yeah. all right man dude Adrian, man, I'm having so much fun hanging out and chatting. So thank you for coming and spending some time with us. I do have just a few more questions um, and then we'll get this uh, wrapped up and let you get back on with your day, mate. Um, you know, I ask uh, I ask a lot of people this question and um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's definitely applicable because of how many businesses you've, you've been through before you finally evolve to get to where you're going. So um, this show, mate, it's aimed at people that are maybe five or even 10 years behind where we are in the world of business. And so I want to ask, man, if, if you could reach out to yourself or somebody very similar, your avatar from 10 years ago and give them one piece of advice, man, what would you tell somebody that was still down there in the trenches? My, so unquestionably my advice would be to prioritize themselves over the business oh wow the, yes and what i mean by that is for years absolute years i was i sacrificed everything for the business mm -hmm. and i was like business 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 and all i've done was <laughs> succeed in 
putting myself into the ground like just yeah. winding myself down and there came like a breaking point when i just realized it's not worth it like mm-hmm. i'm going to put myself first and make me healthy and uh give myself the some uh, an element of balance not like nine to five but an element of balance and what i noticed was as i started to do that and as i started to take away and tackle things like alcoholism and other mm-hmm. addictions i started my business life started to like accelerate forward yeah it does it does and and i suppose the insight i came to was that success is subtraction it was taking away my vices had a direct impact on the business but Mm -hmm. that came from a focus on myself yeah so the the advice would be don't sacrifice yourself for the business Put yourself first. I love that, man. And and let's uh let's let's go a few more minutes and let's let's talk a little bit on that because like not only, you know, are you a, a an entrepreneur, you kind of spent a lot of time in that self-development world and, and on that internal journey. Uh can you tell us like what that was like and and when you first realized that hey, I might need to work on myself a little bit. So I've always been into personal development since my teenage years, but I've never, it's always been like a, I've seen it as like a side thing. It's like a, just, you know, something you put on and off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I um, enjoyed reading those books too, but you, you never did anything about it, right? No, no, exactly. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're just like, rah, rah, so, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like, make you feel good, but you didn't actually do anything. Right. And then it was, it was when I exited my, um, I suppose the most, the most obvious example was when I exited my first acquisition, last year and mm-hmm. I'd exited the business and you know it was a nice exit but then I looked around and I was overweight I was unhealthy my relationships my family mm-hmm. like everything had been at sacrifice and I made a decision of like no more I'm going to put myself first and I'm going to make sure that the best version of me is turning up each day yeah and that is more important than anything and what happened after that it's still it's very hard to put into words because it still blows my mind in many ways, but everything accelerated and it wasn't just the speed of it. It was because of, I was coming into each day as a better version of myself. I had far more clarity, I had far more confidence and I could see things more like just clearly. Right. Like, right. Why am I doing that? It doesn't make any sense because of the self, the focus on the self mm. first. Man, it, it's funny when when you focus on yourself and you have the discipline to do the things you're supposed to do, the the business bit falls in line. It falls right in line. If if I get up and go and exercise, and if I keep my diet on point and I eat right and I don't drink, and like everything just gets easier. And yet, at the very first sign of pressure, most of us, myself included, as entrepreneurs, will skip the gym. We'll run and grab some fast food because it's convenient. And, you know, some of us will end up in the pub because, well, this is too much pressure. I'm going to go have a couple of drinks. And so the ability, and for me, it's been it's been a trained thing. It, it, it never came naturally. But for me to have the discipline to do that, the knock-on effect that it has in my life when I exercise, when I eat right, when I stay sober, and when I take care of the things I'm supposed to take care of, like... I thought growing up it was a bunch of hippie bullshit. And yet, like, the best thing I ever did was hire a mentor and, and learn how to, like, put my day together. I think the book 
one of the first books that started it for me was uh, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if you have a great morning, you can have a great day. And if you have a great day, you can have a great week. And, he, and, he, and he's right, man. He, he really is. So do you have like a morning routine that you stick to now? Or? Yes. And this is, this is the, this is truly the secret source. So, and, and I'm, I share this very actively like on a daily basis on my, my Instagram. So mm-hmm. um, I'm up at 4am every day, seven days a week. And the first thing I do is take a screenshot and post it on my Instagram oh, nice. stories. Right, and, right. and then I go into my routine, which is a, there's multiple steps to it, but it's, I read 10 pages, I meditate for 15 minutes. Um, I hit the gym and essentially that time between 4 a.m. to about 7.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. is this purely investment in myself. And I didn't yeah. start at 4 a.m. Started at 6 and gradually worked myself, worked my way back. But what that <laughs> does is, whereas before I was getting up and I was say uh, like a level three version of me, mm-hmm. with that investment of that time in the morning, by 7.30 a.m., I'm turning up when I get home from the gym, my daughter's just getting up mm-hmm. and I'm like a level seven. Level right, eight. right. Ready for so, the day. I mean, yeah. And what it's, what's happened is the relationship with my daughter has deepened to a degree I never thought possible. Mm-hmm. The relationship with my wife has deepened to a degree. I then start, start my day, my work day. And because I'm going in with far more clarity, like if I'm looking at a business acquisition or if I'm going into a meeting or mm-hmm. having a, a call, like in particular, there's other people there quite often they're going into that call as like a level three, yeah. level two, level three, level four version, but I'm arriving at a level seven or level eight or level mm-hmm. eight. And so without even trying, you're, you're standing out quite significantly. And that in itself is attracting even more opportunity. And it just compounds and pounds and pounds yeah. Yeah. Um, to the point where now I like the best part of my day is that 4am wake up and I genuinely every day go to bed at night excited to wake up because it's, it just changes it, it changes everything mm-hmm. it's just it's just amazing yeah I wish other people could like realize that what you do is real and what and what you're saying is true I, I think that you know it the, it's the result of cumulative actions over time and I know that getting up at four o'clock in the morning scares a lot of people. You know, my alarm goes off at 4.45. Um, and it is cumulative actions over time that, I mean, look at you, man. Like, you, you're, in, you're in great shape. You've got a great career. You've got a great wife and kid. I mean, like, and it's all from repeated, consistent steps daily that you've been putting in the effort, man. So my hat is off to you, Adrian. Well done, sir. Likewise, Samuel. Like, <laughs> absolutely, likewise. And I, I love the... Um, how like reflective our stories are with the paper rounds and it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's fantastic <laughs> dude it's great man look i have i have really really enjoyed hanging out with you today man we're about upon time for the interview but i would like to chat with you off the air um dude before we get out of here um last question i swear what is your instagram and for the people that have enjoyed the show what do they need to do to follow along with you and to uh, to find you online Yep. So my Instagram uh, handle is Adrian J Knight with Knight with a K. And like every day, seven days a week, I'm literally posting my routine uh, on my story so they can people awesome. do visibly see. And I get a lot of questions and I'm, I'm always very interactive. Like people asking, well, how I struggle with mornings, how can I get up? Or I like this book and, um, or what about the workouts? And it's given me, this has been so transformational 
to me this this sort of way of living and way of approaching life that is kind of put me in a place where I just feel like I need to shout from the rooftops to everyone and like this will change your life so yeah I share it every day and people can just come and see and see yeah I totally believe it. I, it's all I want to shout hey there's a better way there's a better way yeah. to do this like you'll pay attention man Adrian it's been my pleasure dude thank you so much for coming and hanging out on the show man thank you Thank you so much for having me, Samuel. It's, uh, it's a true honor, it really is. And thank you so much. Guys, that was uh, that was Adrian Knight. Um, you know, I'm probably going to do a follow-up episode with him in a year or two and see where he's at because I, I really enjoyed his story. Guys, if you would like to know more about Adrian, we'll pop his links to his socials in the show notes. Uh, that's going to do it from me for today. Please do me a favor, go to his site, subscribe to his Instagram, follow along with his 4 a.m. posts. And uh, as always, if you share the show and leave us a review, it helps us to to find more listeners all right we're gonna get out of here you'll be good stay safe and i'll see you on friday for this week's friday fire bye all right that's it for today's episode guys i wanted to get on here personally and thank you again so much for listening hanging out with us and being fans of the show if you'd like to hear more about the show or follow us on any of the other platforms or leave us a review do me a favor go to followsam.live there's plenty of stuff over there and uh, if you'd want to know a little bit more about what i actually do for a living you can find us over at smallbusinesssurgeon.com